Welcome to Hook, Line, and Splitter, a Jersey Shore Blue Claws podcast. Hook, Line, and Splitter is presented by NJR Home Services. And now, here's your host, Greg Giambarisi. Welcome in, everybody, to Hook, Line, and Splitter, a Jersey Shore Blue Claws podcast. This is episode 17. And as always, Hook, Line, and Splitter is presented by NJR Home Services, your local experts here to help you hit a home run with a heating and cooling service plan. Our guest today is the one and only Tony Graham, who has been around the Blue Claws for many years. He was the team's beat writer for the Asbury Park Press for a few years. Now he does the games on the radio and the audio stream with us, which he's done for the last seven or eight years now. Tony uh, happy to record this one in person at the stadium. We record most of these uh, most of these podcasts on Zoom, but happy to do one in person. We're sitting high atop First Energy Park on a beautiful uh, Friday morning. Welcome. How are you? Greg, it is a beautiful Friday morning. Let's play two here today. I mean, it's just it's just gorgeous. Uh, there's a nice breeze blowing in from center field. Everything is set except the, the team isn't here, but they, they will be as we record this. Greg, it seems like I haven't seen you for two weeks, and you know what? I haven't seen you for two weeks. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Because the Blue Claws have been on the road, and when they come home in, in a couple of days, uh, they'll be playing a team they've hardly played this year. <laughs> the Brooklyn Cyclones, only, what, 18 games so far against Brooklyn? And I 12 think. to go. <laughs> and and then, then we will get to see a team we haven't seen, the Aberdeen uh, Ironbirds. Ironbirds, the uh, Orioles, affiliate, and they're doing very well. But, yeah, it's great to be here in the, the press box this morning with you, and thank you for having me. So let's start. Um, how did you end up on the Blue Claws beat in the first place? Let's take it, I guess, through the, the whole scenario here. So the Blue Claws are, are born. They, they came to fruition in 2001. Right. And um, I would have loved to have the beat back then, but I was the, the high school baseball writer for the press. Now, for those that don't know the local area, the Asbury Park Press is very local oriented uh, to especially to high school sports. I was the high school baseball writer at the time and, and high school baseball in this area starts uh, really in March, April, May, you know, goes through May and June, you get the playoffs and the state championships. So it, it just didn't, uh, they wanted me on high school baseball, the press did, so it, it didn't, it, the schedules just, just didn't, you know, just weren't... Uh, able to yeah. uh, acquiesce so all right so uh, Danny uh, Danny Sachowski right was was the first beat writer did a real good job and uh, Scott Stump followed him and then Joe Adelizzi the late great Joe Adelizzi followed him as a beat writer and this goes from 2001 until 2008 now I did cover Blue Claws games when they couldn't make it or if they needed another reporter to cover a game, whatever the situation was, I did cover a number of Blue Claws games on and off throughout uh, those, uh, season 2001-2008. But I did always uh, let the sports editor at the time know if the Blue Claws beat ever opened and if it was possible, I would love to have the Blue Claws beat. So by 2008... Um, I wasn't doing high school baseball anymore, and Joe Adelizzi retired from the press in June of 2008, and I just said, can I have the beat? And, then, and they said, yes. I'd been to some games that year anyway, 
and was uh, pinch hitting for Joe. And I was familiar with the team, and uh, and I took over the beat full time at the, that point. That 2008 team had, they had Dominic Brown. Uh, they they had a they had a real good team. They had Michael Taylor, a tremendous a first half All Star. He was promoted after that. He led the league in hitting. 360 was his average, and uh, Brown was sort of the, the centerpiece of the team at that at that time. Dominic Brown was considered maybe the top prospect in all of baseball. They won. 80 I think you were here by then, 2008. No. You weren't here? That was, I, yeah. I was here in 07 okay. and then left oh, you, you, right. and came back in 09. And they won 80 games. They had the most wins in the, the South Atlantic League. And they didn't go to the playoffs the because playoffs, they, didn't, yeah. they didn't win the division either year. Uh, either uh, Excuse me, either, either half. So um, <laughs> that was very frustrating. But they had a tremendous team. And I was then the beat writer for the press from 2008 until I retired in 2013. And then I, I had been on the air with, with you for the Asbury Park, the infamous Asbury <laughs> Park Press half inning. Uh, for every broadcast of the Blue Claws, the, the press sponsored a half an inning. And whenever I would come on that half inning, the Blue Claws invariably went out one, two, three. I was on the air for about two minutes, you know, about 12 pitches. Oh, yes. Yeah, say, so we'd say goodbye before we said hello. So if they, so we did that for, yeah, five years. So yeah. call it, a give or take, three hundred fifty, yeah. three hundred, three hundred fifty. Mm -hmm. Asbury Park pressed fifth innings, and they probably scored about you know eight runs. <laughs> but might, yeah, that might be that might be more that than might be high. Did yeah, it might be a high ratio. So, um, we'll go back to the beginning uh, later on. But I want to start with the times when you were on the beat and covering okay. the covering the teams. I know at the beginning for you, you would go down to spring training right um a good amount and then the first two years full years right that you were on the beat 09 and 10 right the blue claws end up winning championships so let's start there with the with the 09 team and uh and dusty wathen who was the, the manager of course still in the organization now he's the phillies right. uh phillies third base coach he might be is he the are there any probably, he might be the only uh the only guy left from that group that's still in the organization I had to look that one up. Well. I should have looked that up before we started. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, so what do you remember most about uh, about that team with uh, with Dusty? That was a, that was a fun team. Yeah, that was that was a, a very good team. Anthony Goes was uh, one of the stars of that team, a center fielder. So an interesting story with, with that. How that worked in, in spring training is I would go down, and you wouldn't really know who was going to be on the Blue Claws team. Yeah. Right, and it, it was sort of patchwork, guesswork. And some people would help me out a little. And also, you didn't always know where these guys were. In spring training, they're divided into various groups. So you didn't always know where the groups were, what players were in what groups. Uh, the Phillies knew where they were, but you had some, as, as a writer, you had a little problem sometimes trying to find a particular player. Now, the major league uh, players, they were all in, in one area, and the writers could find them. Easily. Ra rather easily, yeah. The minor league players, it was it was a challenge sometimes to find them. So Anthony Goes was, um, as we remember, a speedster coming out of high school, been drafted uh, the year before. I guess this went when I met him. Yeah, what well, was 2009? And um, we sort of figured. I, I know we would go over. You and I would go over who who might be on the team. Mm -hmm. So I would have a general idea of, of, of who to look for. So what the press did. The, did the press still have a section then? A, a uh, section for the blue claws. Hard, no. hard to recall. Yeah. I don't think that. I don't think yeah. they had the section. But you would file a, 
four, after, five, six, whatever stories yeah. from Florida. Uh, every day I'd file a story, and then we'd do um, a, a feature portion of the press to begin the season. We'd have three or four pages, two, three, four pages dedicated to the blue clothes. Right, right, write some more stories. So basically, I had to try to find a player or a feature every day to send, and then also put one in the back pocket to run in the feature section, preview section that would come just just before the season began. So Anthony goes, we figured he, he would be on the team. And I remember trying to find him. He was, they have the, the carpenter complex, beautiful complex, right? There's, there's four yep. full fields. Yep. And most of the minor leaguers are there. But the very, very neophyte minor leaguers, if, if you will, uh, those just in the system maybe for, for the first year, they have these like athletic type baseball fields around the complex in the area. It's actually across the street. Mm-hmm. And they're a good distance, about maybe a half mile away. For me, that's a long walk, okay? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I could have used an Uber. But anyway. Um, <laughs> and they're not a I half mile away, <laughs> but okay. By the time you walk across the, uh, the street, actually, and around and the field and trying to find the players. So Anthony goes, finally locate him. And we're walking back. Anthony, I'm Tony Graham, Asbury Park Press. And, and these players are always very friendly. They're always very agreeable. And uh, we're walking back after practice. And we're walking back towards um, the stadium. At the time, it was um, Bright, uh, Bright, Bright oh. House Networks, right? Bright House Field. Right. Now it's uh, Bake. It was Baker. It was Spectrum. Now and it's Baker. Baker. Yeah. And uh, we're walking back and uh, start to talk. And all of a sudden, well, the, Philly, the Phillies are playing a home game. It's, it's a regular exhibition uh, game. They're playing at home. And this great roar goes up from the stadium. The Phillies, I guess, put, put a rally together. Don't know who they were playing. But at, at any rate, the, the point is that Anthony sort of looks wistfully over at the stadium. And, and I... and. Bingo, a light bulb goes off in my head, right? I go, that's where you want to be someday, right? And he said, yeah, that's my goal, to be playing in, in that stadium. And so I, that became the, the feature part of that story, him looking at the field and wanting to be in that stadium. He's, what, 18, 19 years old at the time. He's still a, a, long, yeah, still a long way from that. And he comes to the Blue Claws, and... Uh, he, he was terrific. He had oh, well, 76 stolen bases, right? He's yes. still the all-time le- yes. leader. The other kid on that team. No one's going to beat it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, Roman, well, Roman Quinn Roman was here, anymore. but. Yeah, he, he got hurt. Right. He stole, yeah, he stole 30-some-odd, uh, right. and he missed, right. he missed time. He broke his wrist right. uh, that year. But I don't think he was going to, yeah. I don't think he was on pace to beat, beat Anthony. The other guy on that team, as you know, was uh, Harold Garcia. Yep. We stole 42 bases, and he was like an afterthought because goes because he <laughs> stole 76. Yeah. But that that was a terrific team. And that year, uh, Ghost was trying to he wanted to lead the whole minors, yeah. but he didn't. Uh, Billy Hamilton was sure. on Dayton that year in Cincinnati with the Reds, and he stole 100. He stole 100. <laughs> like, I think it was 110. But yeah, <laughs> he was quite the character. You know, that was the first year full full year for me and. Uh, I don't know that there's been a, a, a bigger character than him in all the Ghost in all the yeah, years. Yeah. Yeah. And as we record this, um, they just finished the opening ceremonies of the Olympics in Tokyo, mm-hmm. and next week they start the the baseball tournament with. 
ghosts on the Team USA. He's a pitcher now. Right. He, he, obviously, he was a center fielder when he was here. But uh, we wish him the best of luck in uh, in the Olympics. So you have him, and then obviously some local flavor. Todd Frazier's uh, out there as well. We have I dug out. Well, I guess we'll come back to Mickey later. But I, have, I dug out an article that we did in 2012 with Mickey Morandini because it's an Olympic mm-hmm. year. He was on the baseball team uh, in the Olympic baseball team in 1988. So anyway, that uh, that team ends up winning the uh, winning the championship. Talk, we touched on Ghost. Obviously, Travis Darno was on that team, who uh, is now with the Braves, and uh, he's had a he's had a really nice major league career. Today. Yes, at the end of that season, they're playing the championship uh, in uh, Greenville, with Greenville. The, uh, the game where, where where they won the title. And I know there was a big fight in that series, but I'm not going to focus on that. that there was <laughs> game <laughs> two. <laughs> so, um, you know. That, that happened, but what I remember most about that is how cooperative Dusty was. Uh, the final game where they could clinch the championship is in Greenville, and the clubhouse is like miles away from the dugout. Yeah, right? to get to the clubhouse, yeah. you got to go all the way down the right field line. Um, <laughs> right. Basically, if you, from first for those that know First Energy Park, the equivalent of basically where the picnic area is, and then you go back mm-hmm. underneath the stadium mm-hmm. and then down a long hallway i mean it's a good and then um you know it's a good uh it's a good walk so i'm writing for the press at the time and i'm on deadline and i'm th- yeah. and i'm thinking to myself so the game ends they win i'll never get to the clubhouse and back in time to make deadline even if, even if i write half the story in advance which was the thing to do and i worked it out with dusty i said okay i'll be down right next to the dugout if you guys win and it'll be very exciting for you. Can can you come over and bring a player, and uh, I'll do the interviews then. Yep. And then I can run right back upstairs and finish the story. And the Blue Clothes do win, and Dusty was great. He came right yeah, over to me awesome. after the game. I mean, the players were celebrating on the field, and he grabbed. I forget who the player was. It was a relief pitcher, I think. Uh, that. Uh, well, Corey Knowles pitched. I think he, he won pitched the game, game four. He yeah. pitched Did six he or seven in yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so it was him. I believe it was him. And uh, they they win the game, they win the championship, and and and, Dust, and Dusty was great. I mean, he comes over, here's Tony, okay, let, let's do it, and he brings. I, I believe it was Knowles, and uh, every, everything worked out well. The story got in on time. The Blue Claws won the championship. Greenville, tremendous ballpark, Greg. I, I was there a couple of times. You've been there a, a lot. It, it's a mini. Fenway Park. They have the Green Monster out there in, in left field, the Red Sox affiliate, and it's just a fun stadium to visit. That, 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 I, was, that I, was a terrific team. It was a great experience. That was my favorite uh, Sally League stadium for sure, and I haven't been to um, – there are a few new teams, but that would be the leading candidate for best mm. stadium in high A East. <laughs> uh, I remember Ghost that year – uh, struggled a bit at the, in August and September, and the Blue Claws had won the first half. Uh, so they had known they'd be in the playoffs from right. mid-June. And uh, he struggled a bit in August and into early September. And I remember asking Dusty if he was a little concerned. And he and Dusty's like, nah, he's, he's just gearing up for the playoffs. <laughs> he, he, he was bored. And then he ended up in the playoffs. He went 11 for 27. And then in game one of the championship series, which was here, he let off the bottom of the first inning and hit a home run into what was then the rat trap in right center, and now is the boardwalk game area. But as you know from calling many games and watching many games here, uh, nobody, there aren't too nobody, many home runs. No. 
that go that get hit out there, and uh, and he hit one there to, to really set the tone in that championship series, which the Blue Claws won um, three games to one. And by the way, I said there was we got the fight wrong. The yeah. fight was in 2010, which is our next topic. <laughs> <laughs> the fight was not in 2009. The fight was in 2010 in, in Greenville in, in, Greenville <laughs> in game yeah. two, uh, because yeah. the next year the Blue Claws win uh, the championship again. Obviously a, a a different team. Right. There were a couple of uh, holdovers, but mostly uh, mostly a different team with uh, a different manager in, in Mark Perrin, who is basically kind of like the polar opposite of yeah. of, uh, of Dusty. What do you remember about Mark? Who, by the way, we are trying to get on this uh, this podcast. I would love to talk to him. I haven't t- I haven't talked to him really since he probably left the Phillies, which was about uh, nine years ago. But what do you remember about Mark? Well, Mark had been a big league player, and. Uh, I'm a beat writer for the for uh, the Blue Claws, and the procedure was whenever the new manager was named, we would, you know, you would get me his number, and I, I'd call him up. So I call Mark Perrin up, and he he was he was very good. He was good to talk to. This is when I first talked to him, and you know, one of the questions is, well, why why did you want? He was out of baseball. Yeah. And why did you want to come back? And this is in like November, December. Yeah. 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 He, he'd been out of baseball a couple of years. He'd been a professional baseball player. I think with the Marlins were. Uh, at least uh, that, well, he played was, that was the one Padres. of the teams. He played for a bunch of teams. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I call him up and, and, you know, Mark said, why did you decide to come back into the game? He goes, well, I can only mow the lawn so many <laughs> so many times during the, during the summer. And I, I just got bored. So Mark, uh, I, uh, he was a fiery, he's a low-key guy, but he was a fiery manager. And I, does he, I think he still holds the unofficial record for ejection, something like 14, 15 times he, he, he was tossed. Yeah. So, go down to the uh, clubhouse uh, before one of the and games. Just to go point ahead. out, yeah. that's, that's, uh, the season is only <laughs> 20. The season was, is 22 weeks the time. So, you're talking about more than every other week. Just <laughs> point, was, point that out. He was always tossed. <laughs> yeah, it was, was fun. I, I miss those old rhubarbs in uh, Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball. Anyway, so, yeah, go down. This is one of the great quotes, I think I've, I've talked to you about it, where I, I go down before one of the games. What you do is you go down and you talk to the manager as a beat writer uh, be, before the game a little bit, just shoot the breeze, get any updated information. And it turns out one, that one of the regulars is being benched. <laughs> and, and Mark would tell you a lot off the record. He told me who the player was. and He, he goes, uh, you know, for, for, for the record, it's just that team disciplinary reasons. So the player had missed, I guess, a morning meeting. Right? And, then, and I go, so he misses a meeting and you're going to bench for the game. He, he goes, this isn't daycare. <laughs> this is professional baseball. I just remember him saying that. Well, <laughs> I remember the one, they, they, we were in Asheville to open the season and he, uh, well, Greg Leg was the hitting coach, so every day after the game, I would go down with Legger and go over um, the the at bats with runners in scoring position. So he made sure all the information was right. correct in his report because he would track it um, live. But then I would just bring the book down to make sure that we got every that he had everything. We, and we did had done this every day of the year before, 140 times. So on day one in Asheville, we do the same thing. They win easy. Um, they scored like four or five runs in the first inning of the season. Beat Asheville. Second day, ho hum win. Same thing. Third day, you know, not third day. They lost like six to one, six two, something like that. And 
I didn't think anything of it. It was the third day of the season. They're two and one. <laughs> you know, we're just warming up here. Uh, so the clubhouse in Asheville at the time is down the left field line in this big, I don't call it a trailer, but like a like a like an independent building. So I go up to the door and the clubhouse manager standing outside the door and he's like, I wouldn't go in there. <laughs> what are you talking about? I come in here after the game every day. Yeah. And he goes, Yeah, but your manager's really giving it to him. <laughs> Are you, what are, you, are you sure? <laughs> like, nothing crazy happened in the game. It was a routine 6-2 game or whatever. And he's like, yeah, I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> That's the third day of the season. And uh, he just wanted to make sure that he had their attention. And they played hard for him the whole year. Yeah. That was a fun team, too. Juwan James uh, was the uh, center fielder leadoff batter on that team. Sebastian Valle was on that team. Then I think they got uh, – they were good. They got lucky in that the Phillies – sent Trevor May Oh, back. boy, that was a big addition, yeah. Yeah. For the Blue Claws. Yeah. For the Blue Claws, yeah. And he May had been with the team the year before, so May, May won two rings with, uh, with the Blue Claws, one of only a handful of guys. Sebastian Valle was Darno's backup the year before, so he ended up getting uh, two rings, and there were probably one or two other guys. But uh, I remember May was, was here overpowering, you know, pitcher, but when he went to Clearwater at the beginning of 2010, which was the second year, um, he was walking everybody because they were not chasing. He would throw that hammer curve in the dirt or a high fastball, you know, 95 to try to get you to chase, but they weren't swinging at it. So he was walking a lot of guys. So they sent him back here, and then he, he just mowed everybody down. But, um, yeah, both of those teams are good. And then the other thing that you always remember from that series were the two pitching performances by uh, Josh Zide in the championship series in Greenville, one of which was right after the fight in game two. Yeah. The Blue Claws dropped game one in the championship series. Yeah. And then in game two, there was the fight, which occurred after the Leandro Castro threw a runner out at home plate to end the bottom of the fifth inning. And Blue Claws were up by a run. Zide comes on. So there was you know, a big fight, few ejections. Zide <laughs> comes on in the bottom of the sixth. Right. And I think think he retired everybody I think he retired all 12 batters um, that he faced and if it wasn't all 12 it was you know 12 out of <laughs> 13 or something he, he was just unhittable and he really set the you know that that kind of saved the series because um, you know as you remember from that that ballpark is one of the best things they did in that park is that when they built the suites they built them so they're closer to the field Meaning, so they overhang over most of the seats. Right. So if we're sitting in the press box here at the ballpark now, and if we drop a nickel out of the booth, it'll land in row 20. <laughs> but there, if you drop a nickel out of the booth, it lands in, like, row 5. Yeah. So what happens is you have so many seats under the overhang, which I'm sure they did to create more shade. It's hot right. down there. Whatever. But the sound echoes back and forth. Uh, yeah. So no matter how many how many or how few people are there, and I'm not, they draw really well, and, they, you know, there were – I mean, it wasn't like a packed house, but it's never a packed house in a playoff game in minor league baseball. But, you know, it's called half full. But it sounds like it's like right, 125% yeah. capacity. Yeah, the acoustics in that, in Unbelievable. that stadium. Yeah, so that, rock, play, rock your ear drops, that place yeah. was rocking. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and he came in and, and uh, he really slammed the door. So here are his numbers in that series. Josh side, right. Um, eight innings, one hit, <laughs> one walk, no runs, 12 strikeouts. Wow. Then he comes back in the in the title clincher here and does virtually the same thing. Yeah, and he After came in there. Valle there was no fight, but yeah. Valle hit the home run. But which, to be fair, 
We, I know we just scoffed at it before, but that actually did occur in the Asbury Park Press fifth inning. Okay. Those are the three <laughs> runs. <laughs> yeah, but, so it was 1-1. One, one. It was 1-1, one, one, and then Vi hit the home run. Those are the three runs I scored in my five years as, as the beach rider yeah. in the Asbury Park Press fifth inning. Yeah. yeah Sebastian Valle. I remember, um, again, looking at it from a writer's standpoint, to the end of that game, uh, the scoreboard reads Blue Claws 2010 champions, and it's stadium is empty like it is now and it's a couple hours after the game and it was a day game taking my time writing the story it was well what happened was there was a rain out on uh there was a rain out on thursday for game three Mm -hmm. so what we did was we played one game on friday and then saturday was game four and if necessary game five we were going to double up which is why game four started at four (laughs) o'clock which worked out nice because when yeah uh and they clinched it. Well, they clinched it. We had plenty of time. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking out, and it's and I remember it was big red letters on the scoreboard: Blue Claws win championship, Blue Claws South League championships, 2010. And I said, you know, there's a lead to the story. You know, it's two hours after the game. Everything's quiet. You're in this, still on the scoreboard, and big bold letters: Blue Claws South League champions. And you know, I, I wrote my story off off that lead. As, as a writer, you sort of look at it. In, in, in my heart, I'm, I'm rooting, of course, for the Blue Clothes, but as, as a writer, you're always looking for an, an angle, what you would lead the story with or what sure. you would focus the story around. And they, they won the championship. And um, just to go back a little bit, I was on hand for the first championship when they won in 2006. And that year, I had covered... Um, a couple of games for Joe Adelisi was was the beat writer. He couldn't make every game. I mean, nobody ever does make every game, and um, that, that that was uh, of course a, a really good team. I wrote down the the three aces, um, so to speak, on on that team. And Matt Maloney was, was the ace pitcher. He won 16 games. Uh, Carlos Carrasco, who is now rehabbing, trying to get back into trying to get into the Mets rotation. He he won uh, 12. And uh, Josh Outman, who went on to pitch for uh, the A's and maybe other uh, major league teams as well, won 14. That, that was quite the staff. That team. I mean, got, to got be all, fair, that, they got a, the gift of all time that they kept them all the whole yeah. year. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, Pat Gillick was the GM, and he had, I think, a lot to do with that. The first five years, 201 to uh, 205, yeah. the Blue Claws were pretty much irrelevant as far as the chef. As yeah, far as I the think they had one half where they were like a yeah. game around 500, and every, most but, of them were much games under. They weren't, they weren't very good, but the stadium was either packed or close to packed every night, and the Blue Claws, through most of their tenure here, have either led the league in total or average attendance, and the, the Phillies noticed that right, right away, how, how well they did uh, attendance-wise, and I think... In that season, even though they got off to a rough start, actually they lost their first nine or ten games in the first half, and then they came on like like uh, like a freight train, and they they didn't win the first half, but they closed very strong, and then they ran away with uh, with uh, the second half. So I, I think, and I had heard this, I hadn't interviewed anybody about it, but John Alizi told me that the Phillies appreciated the fan support here, 
and yeah. wanted to keep that team together as much as possible to reward the fans for their support of the Blue Claws, who had not been real good the first uh, couple of years. And then they went out after um, 80 games or so, and they and uh, Gillick made a move to uh, bolster the team a little bit. Their, I looked this up. Their leading hitter home run-wise was someone who's rather anonymous, to, uh, anonymous excuse me, today, Clay Harris, who is not a household name, uh, hit 13 home runs. He was their leading home run hitter. But uh, they, they needed really one more bat, and Gillick goes out and gets a minor leaguer, a career minor leaguer with the White Sox. He's a good minor league hitter by the name of Mike Spadali. And he comes here, and he pretty much rounds out the lineup. He wasn't a slugger, but he was a, a tremendous hitter, tremendous average hitter. Hits 345 and leads the league in hitting. He's still the only Blue Claws batting champion. Am I right? To, to Williams has to deal he kind of close. chance on the last day, but yes, yeah. you're right. So uh, Spadali leads the league in hitting, and the Blue Claws go on, and uh, they, they win the playoffs. They, they win the championship. After the championship game, they, they, de- they defeat Augusta here, the, the Green Jackets, the Giants affiliate, I believe, at that yes. time. Yeah, okay. And the way that worked was that uh, the game ends, and all the interviews in 2006, for, for some reason, at the end of the game, are done on the field. They, they, weren't, they weren't done in the clubhouse. They were done. I remember being in the dugout. Game is over. Uh, I was there for the Asbury Park Press. I'm pretty sure Danny was there for the press. Uh, Bill Handelman might have been there. I mean, the Blue Cards were going to clinch the championship that night. Joe Adelisi was there. We, we had a, a, a bunch of writers there. I, I did a column off the game, something to the effect that the Blue Claws came to the shore in 2001, but 2006 they were really born where they won their first championship. That was really corny, but, hey, you know, you got you to go with the flow. So... Uh, we're doing the interviews on the field at the end of the game, and uh, and, the f- and they had come out too after going in the clubhouse. They came out and they celebrated with the fans. They're waving to the fans. And I look over the stands and there's my dentist, <laughs> 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 Doctor Lou. He's a season ticket holder and he's cheering and he's waving at me and I'm waving back and everybody's having a, having a great time. So go up, write the story, come down now back in the clubhouse, myself, Joe, and uh, the Blue Claws are parading around in the clubhouse, right? They're, there's mar- they're marching back and forth, cheering and popping bubbly and wh- whatever they were supposed to do or weren't supposed to do, and they're having a grand old time, and I look around, and there's John Elise marching right with them. <laughs> he's cheering, and he's having a great, and, 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 you know, champagne's flowing all over the place, and I'm sort of hiding in the background. The players didn't know me that well. I, I didn't want to get drenched, and I'm sort of watching all this from, from the side. I, you know, I didn't want to get bottles of champagne poured on my head. So I'm watching this, and I'm thinking to myself, here's Joe marching with all these Potential, not all of them, some of them former Phillies players, and Joe is as dyed a wool in the Mets fan as yeah. you were ever going to be. He is absolutely a tremendous Mets fan. I'm thinking to myself, what's going to happen in three or four years if some of these guys are, are pitching against the Mets or if somebody's coming up to bat against the Mets? And I, I, I looked it up the other day. Matt Maloney, who was the ace of that staff, he, he had a small career in the, in the, the big leagues with, with Cincinnati. 
and I and I didn't get every game he pitched against the Mets or the Phillies. I, I saw the Mets beat him uh, three nothing. The Phillies beat him in 2010 one nothing. Cole Hamels beat him one nothing when Maloney was was with uh, was with the Reds. So I'm sure Joe rationalized it as I have too because over the years, you know, former Blue Claws wind up playing against the Phillies on another team. And and the way I look at it is uh, sort of the way I look at it with with Todd Frazier. Uh, Todd Frazier, uh, for those who don't know, is a local icon here. He's with the Tom Turner Little League team that won the championship in, in the late 1990s. He's gone on a great major league career. We spoke about him being on the U.S. Olympic team. Played for the Reds. He played for the Mets. So w- whenever he would bat against the Phillies, and I, I'd covered Todd in high school since he was a freshman, right? Freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year. We had state championships locally in high school, Tom's River High School South. And then at Rutgers, covered him a little bit there, tracked his career into the major leagues, called him up when he was drafted, and uh, drafted by the Reds. So I, and I still know Todd, and, and I knew him especially well back, back in the days when I was covering him. So what am I going to do when he's coming up against the Phillies in a big spot? And the way I rationalized it was, well, I hope he has three hits in the game, but the Phillies win. And if the game is on the line, when he comes up to the plate, I hope he lines out the shortstop. He yeah. hits it hard, <laughs> but he's retired. So, you know, that's how I feel about the, the Blue Claws, too. When, when, they, when a former Blue Claw uh, bats against, uh, against the Phillies. It them to do well in the game, as long as they don't get the winning hit. So, there you go. The quick uh, 06 note. The pitching coach, Dave Hubbard was the manager. Right, Dave Hubbard. Steve Schrank was the pitching coach. Mm-hmm. And Schrank would... Had been a had been a was a coach in the, with the Phillies for a while, so he's not with the in the Phillies organization anymore. But uh, he had been you know doing his own thing, cl- clinics, lessons, and this year he becomes the pitching coach for the Syracuse Mets. Right. Yeah. I think he started in the middle of the year. Something happened or whatever. And the other night, who's pitching for the Syracuse Mets? Carlos Carrasco, oh, wow. who he had coached <laughs> with the Blue Claws 15 years before, back in 2006, and Carrasco pitched against the Blue Claws uh, last week in Brooklyn after pitching right, against yeah. the, or pitching for them in um, 15 years before right, yeah. 2006. So that was uh, I thought that was a pretty cool uh, a pretty cool note um, yeah. on that end. A quick uh, note here: this is hook, line, and splitter. A Jersey Shore Blue Claws podcast. And one of our proud partners is Rich Green Lawns, the leading fertilization company at the Jersey Shore. We provide lawn, non-turf, tick, mosquito, and tree and shrub programs. Now is the time to think about core aerating and seeding. Call today, 732-370-5963, or visit richgreenlawns.com. Now, uh, Tony grew up a huge Phillies fan, and I'm sure that while everybody was happy going into the 2012 season when the Blue Claws had a new manager named Mickey Morandini, I'm sure there were few people as happy as Tony. Uh, Mickey Morandini Morandini is named as... um the Phillies manager, and that was... Uh, Blue Claws manager. I, I, yeah, Philly, yeah. Maybe in his next life, but... Uh, so Mickey is named uh, Blue Claws manager, and one of my favorite 
Mickey Morandini moments was as a Phillies player. It's game, um, it's the middle of the playoffs, well, toward the end of the playoffs in 1993. And uh, Mickey hits a two-run triple of Greg Maddox of the Atlanta Braves in the fifth inning to basically clinched the uh, championship. And uh, love Mickey here as a manager. We, we talk about that a little bit. And he was very, very good, very cooperative. And it, it, it was just fun having a former Phillies player here as the uh, Blue Claws manager. But, Greg, I want you to tell the story, because you tell it best, about the time he got ejected. Oh, yeah. And winds up in the stands. <laughs> Go ahead, with, if, if you can, with, with uh, so he got with ejected. that story. Yeah. No, not as much as Mark Perry. <laughs> no. I don't know, three or four times. So one, <laughs> one game he wanted to – it was early enough in the game, so he wanted to watch. And he ended up going down into um, – down the right field line. And he just sat down in an open seat, and the guy next to him <laughs> looked at him. And Mickey told me the story after the – like, whatever, later in the year, a couple day later. And he sits down. guy next to him looks at him and goes, hey, you're Mickey Morandini. <laughs> and he's like, yep, that, that's me. He's like, what are you doing here? And he goes, well, I, I manage this team, and I just got ejected. And he goes, you do? <laughs> oh, my. And I felt bad. He, he, uh, the two years that he managed here, they, they didn't really have that great, um, uh, you know, that great ball clubs. He did have uh, a, a really great half in 2012 from Michael Franco, uh, mm, yeah, which was Franco Mickey's was tremendous, first year yeah. here. And he had um, the same team. Kelly Dugan was here uh, when Kelly hit. I remember he finished the season something like 15 for 28 or whatever it was. Something sick like that over the last week and a half. Uh, to get, and he finished right on the nose at 300, which was, uh, which was pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, but he was great. Um, you know, I love working with him. He ended up moving up to Lehigh Valley. It was a as a coach, and then he was on the Philly staff for a, a couple of years as well. So Mickey was from uh, University of Indiana, where another one of our favorite Blue Claws uh, hailed from the uh, lefty with the great pickoff move, Joey Donato. Yeah, and Donato, yeah. Uh, Donato. Yeah. And I don't know how many players exactly he, he picked off, but, but I don't know if there's a record for that. or He has he, it, whatever, <laughs> whatever the record whatever is. Whatever it is. He, he's got it. So uh, the, the famous walk-off, pick-off move. And that was – yeah, go ahead. The walk-off, pick-off yeah. was against Hagerstown. Right. And he had picked off a couple guys, you know, against them. And, yeah. Um, you know, it'd be it'd always be funny the first time you would see a team. And, like, the scouting it now in the minor leagues is pretty good. They give detailed reports and everything. But back then it was – and this was only like seven or eight years ago, but it's not like, like they didn't really get provided with huge scouting reports. You know, you would see a guy because um, you played them a lot and have a little idea. But, you know, I don't want to say they were going in cold, but it's not nothing like it is now. So, uh, you know, Hagerstown was in town. And, of course, the Blue Claws played them, you know, every other week. So th- they had seen him. They'd seen the move, whatever. And it was a one-run game in the ninth inning, and this guy at first base had a lead that was like a foot because he knew how good the pickoff move was, and he's not getting fooled. He's the tying run. He's not taking any chances. He's like legit a foot off the bag. And two out in the ninth inning, 
And sure enough, <laughs> I don't know how this guy got picked off with a a 12-inch lead, <laughs> but he got him. Did not, Joey got him. That was great. And, uh, yeah, the, that was the walk-off, the walk-off. The walk-off pickoff. But, uh, but, yeah, he was fun. And then what was the year 2013 was the year that, um, you know, maybe the best half or the best two-month stretch of any blue call oh, that we've seen, the Chris, Chris Duffy. Duffy. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So at, at one point in that season, Ryan Howard came here on rehab. Yep. So, and Kelly Dugan, who you had mentioned earlier, another left-hand batter. Ryan, of course, left-hand batter. Chris Duffy, left-hand hitter. And Dugan, left-hand hitter. And Howard was here for a couple of days. Actually, he was here for like two or three days. And they put a lineup together. The middle three was uh, Dugan batting third. Uh, I believe Duffy batted fourth, I'm pretty sure. And Ryan batted fifth. Or they, 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 nah, might, they might have switched. You think Howard was fourth? And how, how, yeah. However it was. Um, or, yeah, I don't, I don't think yeah, Howard would have come yeah, here and batted yeah. fifth. Especially on a rehab where they're trying right, to get him yeah, as many at bat. Yeah. So, but you had those big three in the middle of the lineup, which just wasn't fair. I'm pretty sure the Blue Claws won all those games when the, when the, the, those three were, were packed in there. Howard, in one of those games, just missed a grand slam home run. Blue Claws came back in the bottom of the ninth, hit a sacrifice fly, right, and then Duffy came up after him, and, and I think what. Well, oh, they, you're okay. Yeah, Howard yeah, yeah. Had a long drive to left center. It was caught on the warning track. Right, and we yeah. thought it was. We, <laughs> we thought, thought it was caught. No, no, no. Yeah, we, we, we knew yeah. it wasn't, yeah, and everybody okay. in the crowd thought it was. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. for well, once I, we were right. I thought it was gone. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime Howard hit the ball, I thought it was gone, but uh, because he, you know, could obviously hit. No, it was like in major power. league. You know, too high. <laughs> yeah, a little too high to go. And uh, and then Duffy, I think, won the game uh, when he came up uh, after Ryan. So. The first two years uh, when when you were on the beat full-time, Blue Claws won championships. Uh, they had a couple of opportunities a bit later on to win championships with teams that were both really good and uh, just kind of ran in. They kind of picked the wrong year, I guess, to have a, have a good team in, in 2016 and, uh, and, and 2018. I think the, the, the 2016 team, um, just ran into four big league pitchers in one rotation from the Rome Braves, which made life uh, yeah, pretty Ma- difficult. But that was a Max great Fried. Yeah, right? well, it was Mike Soroka game one, Tugi yeah. Tucson in game two, <laughs> Max Fried in game three, or uh, Colby Allard in game three, and Max Fried in game four. Who's pitching? Fried's uh, pitching tonight. tonight they as record we this, record yeah. this, yeah, against the Phillies. And uh, Austin Riley hit a home run. Austin R- hit a home yeah. run off Alberto Torado that basically hit the Ryan Howard retired number, and it was a 97-mile-an-hour fastball that wasn't even a strike. It was on, it was off the plate to the outside, and he smoked it. Yeah, that was um, – but that was a really good team. The 16 Blue Claws had uh, – you know, they had a good team. Brian Swinney was the pitching coach under Sean Williams. Frank and Killame uh, got off to a, a tough start. They, they fixed him, and he beat Soroka in, in game one mm, of that uh, – right. in game one of that series. What do you remember about that uh, – about those years, or that 16 team? Oh, it just – I, again, it was a team that, that we thought had a great chance to win it. I don't think we had seen Rome during the regular season, right? So, nope. so they came. all of a sudden we saw the, the pitching staff that they had, and uh, we knew the Blue Claws could be in a little bit of trouble. Well, the, what happened yeah. was the Blue Claws won game one right. down there. Right. And then. That was Killamay, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. actually what happened was uh, 
game one of the division series the week before mm-hmm. was here okay, yeah. against Hagerstown. Oh, and then the Blue okay. Claws won that game, go to Hagerstown for game two, mm-hmm. and they win the game. So now they are up, or they're, they've clinched the spot in the finals. Mm-hmm. Well, the other series was Charleston against Rome. Now, you kind of had an idea Rome had all right. these pitchers, so didn't really want to play them. So after the game in Hagerstown, because le- they got to play Saturday night. Mm-hmm. We've clinched on Friday. We leave Hagerstown, bus to Hickory, uh. because Hickory, is, two things about it, Hickory. One, they're about the midpoint of Charleston and Rome, give or take. Mm-hmm. And two, they had a great hotel. <laughs> so we bus down there overnight, get in probably 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. Spend the whole day there Saturday. Their game is Saturday night, and Rome won the game. So if Charleston had won on Sunday morning, we're going to wake up and go to Charleston on a bus. And if Rome had won, on our way to Rome. So go to Rome, get down to the stadium. We went actually went straight to the stadium and played, uh, and they had, a, they had a, a practice. And I go up to the, to the press box, and they have like a little, similar to the party deck that we have here, um, so I dropped the stuff off, was heading down, and I see this one guy in the press box, and it was Randy Ingle, or in the uh, party deck, and it was Randy Ingle. He was just sitting there having a beer watching uh, watching um, a football game because it was the first day of the NFL season, and he was the manager of the Braves, <laughs> just hanging out there because like, they had gotten back from Charleston, um, you know, probably at 4 o'clock in the morning or whatever, 5 o'clock in the morning. He probably just crashed in the office and went to the – and hung out in the stadium. So, uh, yeah, we talked to him. Talked to him for a little while, and um, you know, they said they, you know, he, he knew they had a good team, and then uh, and they did. So, Killamay beat Soroka in game one, and then in game two, um, Tuki Toussaint threw eight shutout innings and beat Sir Anthony Dominguez. And mm-hmm. then the series came back here, and then they just had, you know, they had Freed and Allard, and I think they <laughs> combined to strike out like twenty five guys. <laughs> In, the, in their two games, and, and they ended up getting out of there with, uh, and they clinched it in game four. So in those playoffs, the first round, as you noted, was uh, against Hagerstown. Yes. So for that series, I went down, drove down to Hagerstown to uh, be be there for, for that set. And Hagerstown is a stadium that <laughs> will go down in infamy. Uh, Greg, tell them about the, the spiral staircase leading up, excuse me, leading up to the press box there in, in Hagerstown. So <laughs> this stadium is built in the late 20s, early 30s, mm-hmm. and they ended up refurbishing it, but in like the 70s or early 80s. So you have a traditional grandstand, and then the press box is on the roof of the grandstand. Right. And to get up there, you climb the steps to the last row of the grandstand, and then there's a, a little gate, and then you climb the spiral staircase. <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, now do it in the rain, carrying all the equipment. It's metal. It's slippery. It's a little, it's a little dicey. Right. You have all this heavy equipment uh, to carry all the broadcast equipment. So the night that the Blue Claws clinch the uh, playoff at Hagerstown, so we're done. We're off the air, and then it begins to pour. Right. It, yeah. Right after the right game. Right after the game, we haven't left the press box yet. It, it begins, and you, you don't uh, want to go down the stairs in the rain. <laughs> but eventually, um, you went going down at some point. So I'm going down, and it, maybe it'll let up for a minute, and then it starts to pour again. So now there, there, you've got to get down 
after you reach the ground, then you got to walk to the clubhouse, which is fairly close, but not like right next door. So I'm running. It's, through, it's, it's, yeah. for the, it, it's basically yeah. um, it, First Energy Park. It's basically where the um, it's where the picnic area is down the right field yeah. line. Yeah. So now I'm running through the pouring rain, right? Because I want to get a post game interview. Uh, with uh, Sean Williams and, and or a player. So I'm running through the pouring rain. I get to the clubhouse. I open the door and I rush in and I'm in the Hagerstown locker room. <laughs> 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 and, and, and they are sitting there like death warmed yeah. over. Yeah. Right? They, they're just lost and they're giving me this cold stare. And I just looked around. That's and funny. I, and I, I go, uh, where's the Blue Claws <laughs> locker room? And they point to this door, and you can hear all the celebration on the other side. So I walk through this door, and sure enough, I'm in the Blue Clothes locker room, which is about the size of this press box. <laughs> this booth. <laughs> yeah, really. Maybe the size of this booth. And uh, Sean, who is very nice, he gives me a, a big alarm. I go, where can we talk? We get this little corner of this little booth, and I do a, do a video with him. But just that whole whole. Uh, scene was was rather bizarre running through the rain winding up in the wrong clubhouse and then talking to sean in this three by five area and uh and so doing and doing the video and then the blue clouds of course moved on from there to go to the finals uh before we could do the 18 team mm -hmm. with marty malloy the lexington series uh i found that that game you were referencing so this was the lineup your memory is pretty good but not perfect so kyrell hudson was the leadoff hitter mm. Kelly Dugan hit second. Aaron Altair hit third. Aaron Altair. Howard hit fourth. Right. Chris Duffy hit fifth. Okay. Michael Franco hit sixth. Mm. So the Blue Claws are down 6-4. They get... No. I'm bad at math. 6-3. <laughs> uh -huh. They get a run in the eighth on a home run by Duffy. Okay? Right. Down in the Now, so down in the ninth, 6-4 going into the ninth. And... Uh, Brock Stassi walked the nine-hitter. Mm -hmm. Kyrell Hudson doubled. Okay. Stassi to third. Dugan walked to load the bases. Okay? Then Altair comes up and hits a fly ball to right that is not deep enough to All score right. a run. Then Howard hit the sack fly right. to left center. And then Duffy had a base hit up the middle to score two. And win the game 7-6. You look at that lineup, well, of course, Howard wasn't there except for three games. You wonder how that, that team ever lost a game. I mean, you had Howard, you had Dugan, you had Duff, Duffy, who had the hellacious two weeks, two, two weeks, months, excuse months, me, yeah. two months. That'll go down in Blue Claw. What are you, 340, 360, something like that for, well, for, for two months. Well, after his game-winning hit man, that day, man. he was hitting 404. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. But, yeah. So, anyway, um, yeah, he hit. So he hit, yeah, he hit 384 in 60 games with 11 homers and a 620 slugging percentage uh, before he was promoted to Clearwater. Um, but then he kind of struggled in Clearwater, and then he, that was it. He, he, yeah. he never played it. He, he did not play in, yeah. 20, in uh, 2013. So, but well, anyway, that was, uh, yeah, that was a pretty wild uh, So week. In, in 2018, the Blue Claws win the championship, and Spencer Howard, <coughs> excuse when me, the, the Division right, they, series, they won yeah. the division series. Yeah, they, they lost in the finals. So actually, uh, you know what? Before we do that, we shouldn't ahead. skip over 2017. Two Nick Fanny no hitters. Oh right, yeah. 
Okay. I was going to backtrack on that, but go, but go ahead. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah. well. Uh, one, one is on the road. Go ahead. Yeah, the first one's on the road in Columbia, and it was, it was, um, it was the day that they ran the Kentucky Derby. It was the first <laughs> Saturday in May. And I know you were uh, – were you watching on MILB TV? They, they, they had it. Yeah, yeah. Because that's how, that's how Nick's parents watched. Okay. With, um, they were on the phone with Sal Agostinelli, the Phillies' uh, lead international scout, but he lives in Long Island, and he knew the, knows the family well. And, uh, I know I was following it one yeah, way or the other. And, and yeah, and he ended up throwing the no-hitter – uh, where he got he got twenty six of the twenty seven right. outs, and then um, there was Trevor Bencourt got the yeah, last out. There was an error that prolonged by the Danny Zardone. Yeah, yeah. He the leadoff batter of the ninth inning hit a ground ball to third, and, Zard- and now remember it's a one nothing game. Right, yeah. and Zardone threw the ball into the third row, <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm you know he felt I'm sure he felt right, sure, terrible yeah. because as the inning progressed, Fanny ended up. Uh, getting two outs, and then he walked a batter on a three-two pitch. That was his 113th pitch of the Goodness, game, and yeah. that was that, they, yeah. that was it. And then uh, Betancourt came in and got the last out. So he does that. That was a crazy night. Unbelievable performance, obviously. Uh, Marty Malloy's the manager. This is his first year there, and Brian Sweeney's the pitching coach. His first, his second year here. So uh, Nick has a great year. Come. Come back home to Lakewood, and two months later, he's pitching a morning game against Charleston, and it's the last day of a homestand, 11 a.m. You're here for this one, sure. And um, Henry Lartigue hit a home run in like the second inning, second or third inning, to make it one nothing, and that was the only run of the game. And then Nick ends up going the whole way this time and gets his second no hitter of the year. The defender gets the no hitter, get the final out. And, of course, I wanted to talk to him after the game, so we, we wrap it up here on radio. After the game, it's, it's like 1 o'clock in the right, afternoon. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's an 11 a.m. game. Right, yeah, it's not like I'm yeah. on deadline because I'm not working for the press anymore. Yeah. I just want to go down and get an interview with him. So game ends, go down to the clubhouse, no Nick Fanti, right? I don't know if you knew this. I'm looking around, can't find Nick Fanti. Where is Nick Fanti? You know, I've, I've got to get this video with him, right? Where is he? I'm, from, I'm looking around the clubhouse. I walk outside the clubhouse, and somebody said, I think he went home, and my heart was, like, crushed. And then uh, I'm, still, I'm just about to give up, and I walk outside, and there he is by the dugout. <laughs> talking. His family is his, here. Well, his family yeah, was here, yeah. He was here talking with his family. So, I, I, and Nick is one of the, and, and I did the interview then, but Nick is one of the, you know, you, you go down – the players that you've interviewed over the years, he was one of the best, and he's had arm trouble ever since. I don't think he's ever really come back from that. He had, um, he just had, or this year he yeah. had Tommy John surgery. So I don't think he's ever really. I think he, I guess he pitched maybe the next year a little bit of Clearwater, had arm trouble. Yeah, and I don't know that he's he's really ever pinched a, a meaningful game uh, since. Hopefully, he'll still be able to bounce back, but. Um, yeah, that, that, having that no-hitter here on, on that morning game and, that, and, and then chasing him around and getting him and, and, and having a real, good. really good chat with him, yeah. That team was good. They had the unfortunate uh, tiebreaker yeah. situation in the first half where they went 40-30 and 30 and Kannapolis went 39-29. and 29. <laughs> So the Blue Claws and Intimidators were tied in the standings right? Uh, in terms of games apart. They were, they were tied. But the Sally League... 
for some reason, which I still don't understand, used winning percentage mm -hmm. to break the tie. So Kannapolis ended up having a higher winning percentage, essentially benefiting by playing two fewer games. And the kicker for the Blue Claws was that they had beaten them five right. out of seven. <laughs> yeah, right. So they would have, if, uh, if they were actually tied, if they applied the tiebreaker, which you would think they would have done because they were tied. <laughs> uh, then the Blue Claws would have made the made the postseason. Then they had, they lost a few guys to promotion and weren't as good in the in the second half. A year later, uh, the Blue Claws end up playing um, for the first half title spot on the last day of the half, and they had lost a few games the the on oh, Thursday, right. Friday, Saturday. With a lead, they lost a couple of killer games. Yeah, I remember. Uh, and the games were like they left. I think <laughs> they left thirteen guys on base on Saturday night. Lost by a run. It was just a mess. And going into Sunday, they no longer controlled their own destiny. They needed a win, and they needed Canapolis once again <laughs> to lose. And uh, sure enough, that's what happened. So the Blue Claws played at one o'clock, and they needed Greensboro to beat. Canapolis, and they played at f five, I think. Right. So, yeah. so, Blue Claws did their thing. David Parkinson pitched, pitched a great game, and then everybody scattered. Um, I think the Blue Claws sent six or seven guys out to the All-Star game, and everybody else was still hanging around here for the break. Some people went home for the All-Star break, and um, some people went with their families or whatever. It was Father's Day. And Marty basically, Malloy basically said, all right, well, come back if, uh, just follow along and come back. We're going to celebrate if, if it works out. And sure enough, um, sure enough, it worked yeah. out. And Greensboro beat him. I think there was like a late squeeze. Bunt, yeah. A squeeze bunt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. squeeze bunt. And then Marty bought, I forgot what he bought. It was a. Uh, I don't, know if it was, I don't remember if it was whiskey, tequila, but Marty <laughs> bought Todd Pratt, who was Greensboro's manager, like a big thing of alcohol, and he gave it to him the next time the Blue Claws played them. Marvelous. And then so, and then Jersey Shore ended up, or Lakewood ended up winning the winning the second half as well. That team was really good. And in August, Lexington comes in here, and Lexington's right. good, and they end up sweeping a series from. The Blue Claws, and you kind of had a feeling that they were going to make the yeah. postseason by winning the Southern Division. I think the Blue Claws Greg, won one game. They won one game in uh, the, the seventh. It was what it was where you went eighteen. I think they, they did win one. Game. Blue Claws won one because I remember that they did win one game, even though Lexington was very impressive. Yeah, you Blue, knew they were. Blue you Claws, could tell they were yeah, really they good. They were really yeah, yeah. good. They had a couple of Kansas City. They come twice. I feel like they came. They might have yeah. come. I think they came to us. I'll look it up. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you kind of had a did, feeling yeah. that they were going to be. Lucas did win one one game in one in one of those series, but you knew that they they had Brady no, you know Singer. What? They came. Yeah. They came. They did come twice. Right. The second time they got swept. They split the four the first time. Right. Um, but yeah, you knew that they were. Uh, they were you good. knew that was a that was a good team, and the games were all close. But mm. you knew that that was a good team. They just had they had arms. They had depth. Mm. They had a, a lot of top prospects. Um, they had a couple of pitchers that they had taken high up in that in that draft. Not Brady Singer, but Not Singer, um, no. a couple of others. Um, Danny Lynch was a top prospect and um, a, a, a pitcher whose name escapes me who went to the University of Florida. But anyway, you knew they were good. Obviously, we know what happened. They ended up meeting in that in that uh, series, and then the Blue Claws had probably one of the more miracle wins in baseball history. Yeah. In, uh, <laughs> 
in game one. What are you, you were you you were listening, watching to that? I was. I think I was following that online. I'm not sure. If, I don't know. I, if it was was I listening? Was I watching? I know. I know. I was following it, but. Uh, so, but for, you, you you were there, so why don't you? Uh, well, because they're down story. five yeah. nothing. That's only it's game one. Right. But they're down five nothing against a good team, and what happened was in the top half of the ninth inning, they get a couple of base hits and then hit back to back to back <laughs> home runs. Rodolfo Duran hit one. Jalen Ortiz hit another one, which was right down the right field line and barely fair. And then Nick Maton hit the third one all in a row to tie up the game. Right. And uh, they, they ended up winning the yeah. game in 11. That was before the extra inning rule right, yeah. uh, went into effect. But they ended up winning the game in 11. I think Madison Stokes got the game-winning hit. So now you got a little – you know, you always say momentum the next day starting pitcher. But if you can't get momentum off that kind of win, then you're never mm-hmm. going to. And the thing was you knew how good Lexington was, and you did not want to play a best-of-three series against them because – it was a really good team. So they had a chance. That game two became important. They ended up losing game two. And then Lexington beat them twice in close games here. I remember in the bottom of the ninth inning of game four, which Spencer Howard pitched. Um, he did not pitch a no-hitter like he had done the week before, which we have to go talk about in a second. <laughs> but um, Howard pitched. And then the bottom of the ninth, the Blue Claws were down one or two. And Jose Antequera who had two walk-off hits oh, right, yeah. on the year. He hit it pretty hard, but he hit it right at the third baseman right. who made the play. And I don't remember if he – I think he stepped on third. I think that's what happened, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, and that was it. But that was that was a really good team. But both of those teams were really good. You know, they were better than, I think, some of the teams in the Sally that won championships in the in the last few years, but they just ran into, you know, two of the better Sally League teams of the last few years. Spencer Howard's no-hitter. Mm. That has to rank among – the best individual performances, sure. right? Uh, when you throw in the, the postseason element to it as well. But what do you remember about that night? I just remember that at least I didn't have to chase him around the ballpark yeah. <laughs> to find him when the game was over. Thank goodness he was right in the clubhouse. Matter of fact, I found the no-hitter, um, the, the video on, online uh, the, the other day. And uh, I, I just remembered it, it, it was a one nothing game. And uh, it, it, it's a no-hitter. And it, it was in the playoffs. And how, how, how good Howard was in, in his uh, post-game interview after that, how he, you know, he, he knew he wasn't going to be, be lifted in the ninth inning. He definitely wanted to finish the game. And I have to dovetail into, so that was 2018, right? That was 2018. So in 2019, um, the... Um, Ex Blue Claws, many of the ex Blue Claws are with Redding, and they come in to uh, Trenton with the Redding Fight and Fills, the uh, double A affiliate. And I, I, I managed to talk to, I did some videos with, with uh, Dara Call, Mick, uh, Mickey Moniak, uh, Spencer Howard. Well, Howard, Moniak and Hall were 17. Yeah, okay. Here. Well, when did, I'm just trying to but think. But Howard here, uh, was. Um, in 18 yeah. here, and he got up there. There yeah. were a few guys that yeah. had, yeah. yeah. But Moniac right. and Hall had been here. But, but, they were but, the yeah. year before, but, yeah. But they were all at Reading at, at the same time right. as it worked out. So I managed to interview all these ex-Blue Claws uh, at Reading. So with I thought it was very interesting with, 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 with Howard. This is in 2019. And uh, got the credentials. I 
I uh, go to Trenton, but there's really nothing organized in who you're going to get and who you're going to interview. You sort of have to have to have to find, you have to go and scramble and find them again. Sure. And I'm sitting in the Reading dugout. I'm waiting. I had already talked to uh, Dara Call. I think I you know, spoke to Mickey Moniak, who, who was really good. He was. He looked like he was happy to see me. And because uh, I'd spoken to him here, I'd spoken to him at spring training, I'd spoken to him uh, quite a bit uh, over the years. So, so I'm, I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking for Spencer out, and finally, uh, I see him walking to the, walking by. He goes, Spencer, Spencer, can I talk to you? And he comes over to me and goes, Of course. I thought I just thought that was so nice of him. Yeah. I mean, he could have said, I got to get to the clubhouse. I'm busy. He can catch me later. And he goes, Of course. Now I had met him the first time in uh, one of the spring trainings I went to and nobody knew Spencer Howard from Spencer Tracy <laughs> from from Spencer anybody and he was a uh, college pitch, uh, pitcher as I recall off the top of my head who had been a reliever he was, he was a walk-on he was I a walk-on he was a walk-on right and uh, all of a sudden yeah, he, he only started for yeah, a year he, beca- he blossoms into this top Phillies prospect and when I spoke to him this was 29 this was the 2019 and we were sitting there in, in the Reading dugout in Trenton and I'm, I'm saying Spencer do you know like everybody in Philadelphia is talking about you now because he, he, he rocketed up the prospect list and he was their number one or number two prospect at the time and all you heard on talk radio in Philadelphia was, when are they going to bring up Spencer Howard? And Spencer was pretty much oblivious to all this because he's not really listening to Philadelphia talk radio. I'm going, Spencer, you are guy. <laughs> you are the talk of Philadelphia Phillies uh, sports fans right now, and he really had no idea. And and such a great guy. And you know, right now he's been up and down with the Phillies uh, last year and now this year. And, he pitched well, and Yankee he pitched well for, week, for, yeah. for the three innings. That uh, and, and hopefully he will make it all the way in as a, uh, you know, as a permanent major league uh, fixture. My, my, my own quick, my, my own aside is the way he pitches. I think he'd be better suited to the bullpen. He comes in, he blows people away yeah. for two or three innings, and then then uh, he sort of runs out of gas. But that's just me speaking as as, as a Phillies fan. Hopefully he can make it uh, as a starter. Who are some of the guys that uh, covered a lot of ground? But who are some of the Guys that maybe we haven't talked about that you enjoyed getting to know or getting to work with or getting to cover um, in your time here that maybe weren't the top prospects, but you know just guys that that you enjoyed getting to getting to know. Well, men the list here. Some of these guys are top prospects. I got to mention because he was a top prospect at the time, Jesse Biddle. Yeah. Right. He was a uh, the Phillies' number one draft pick in 2010. Comes here in 20. Um, 11 has has a good season and Jesse Biddle one of the friendliest guys that you will ever ever come across so I mean, okay yeah he had he had his first weekend here he's supposed to pitch right, Saturday right. Thursday Friday Saturday Sunday series he's pitched supposed to pitch Saturday well we get rained out on Friday so now we're going to play two on Saturday two on Saturday and he's going to pitch one of them and we get to the stadium to take the tarp off, and there's a hole in the tarp. <laughs> so he's not. So we can't play Saturday. <laughs> so he's bumped back to Sunday. He's going to pitch game two on Sunday. So this is his first start because we opened at home that year. This is his first start. And, you know, it's a 1 o'clock doubleheader. And he gets to the stadium at probably, you know, 2 or whatever. 
to, and he's pacing around. He's amped up, wants to get ready. Well, I don't know if you remember the game. The first game of the doubleheader went 16 innings. <laughs> the poor kid didn't even get on the mound till like six <laughs> o'clock. <laughs> but yeah, no, he had a he had um, he had a good year. So Jesse Biddle was a big Phillies fan. He's, he's drafted sure. by his hometown team. But he he the story with with Biddle, the A story about him is he attends the 2008 World Series. He's at the finale in Philadelphia when the Phillies clinch the World Series. And he tells me, and tells you, it's his dream one of these days to be pitching at Citizens Bank Park, right, for the Phillies. Well, the dream comes true, sort of, <laughs> because in, oh my goodness, was it uh, 2019, he's pitching at Citizens Bank Park, but it's for the Atlanta Braves. And he gives up a 460-foot home run to Bryce Harper. And it's Harper's first home run as a Philadelphia Philly. Wow. And it's surrendered. I didn't even realize that. It's surrendered by Jesse Biddle. Just, I should have known that. I did not realize it's that. It's just, just ironic the, the way that whole thing uh, turned out. But I remember seeing, seeing Biddle in, in 20, um, that, that time I went over, over to Reading again in 2019. Uh, it might have been 27. I went to Reading, uh, went to the Reading games in Trenton a couple of times. And uh, ran into Biddle uh, those times. He would always come up and, Tony, how are you? Throw his arms around me. I mean, he was such a great kid. And now, uh, I'm, I'm sure, an excellent young man. He is still in, I, I think he's back with Atlanta in their minor league system, I think. Uh, I'm not sure about that. Yeah. But it, uh, he was traded. I mean, he, he, he spent time with, with, he was traded after the Phillies. I read this down. He was traded to Pittsburgh, Atlanta, Seattle. Texas, Cincinnati. Now, he didn't pitch for all those teams. He was their property for various times, and then he was released and moved on. So Pittsburgh, Atlanta, Seattle, Texas, Cincinnati, and now back with Atlanta, I think. And, he is. And I think he's he in pitched, AAA with yeah, I think he pitched a little bit with them maybe earlier this year, and now, now he's back at, at uh, AAA. Another Blue Claw, certainly one of our favorites, Jim Murphy. Yeah, right? we, I was going to – I made a note. We, yeah. uh, we skipped over him, but we've got to yeah, come back. Yeah. yeah. So – Jim Murphy is drafted in 2008 out of Washington State. And I remember in 2009, it was down to spring training. And we have figured he might be on the Blue Clouds. I, I had spoken with him. 2009, he has a nice year, 14 homers, 279. 2010, he goes to Clearwater, has a miserable year, six home runs, 239. So in 2011, remember we were talking on the phone before the season, and, and you're going to meet something to the effect that, guess who's back with the Blue Clouds? <laughs> And sure enough, it's Jim Murphy. That, that remained one of the more surprising. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. We, 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 we were stunned that he was back here. And for, for some players, and I understand it perfectly, they're, they're here, they move up, and then especially a year later, if they're sent back to Lakewood, they're not that happy. Because no. they, they want to stay where they are in, in high A or move along. And it's, it's, it's a demotion, really, to come back. Lakewood was low A at the time to come back to Lakewood. And some of them understand it, and some of them don't. Yep. And Jim Mur now Jim Murphy had been, you know, big-time power hitter here at, at Lakewood, goes up to Clearwater, doesn't do well. Now he's, now he's back here. And I, I think that the, the day he came back, the night he came back when we first interviewed, I think he hit a home run on opening night 
to help the Blue Claws win, win that game. I'm sure you'll look that up. I, I, I don't remember I, that, but that's possible. <laughs> I think it's a home run. But I remember b- before the game, chatting with him. So, Jim, I mean, it's a logical question. I was working for the press at the time. So how do you feel about coming back here to Lakewood? And he says, as long as I'm wearing a uniform, I'm good. I want to be in the uniform. And he did hit a home run on yeah, opening night in his first at bat. That's pretty good. Well, well, I got to well, give you credit for that. Welcome back, Jim Murphy. So he's talking about what it, it meant to come back here. The Phillies had explained to him, and he bought into it, that he was going to be the mentor for the young players on the team, and he would be a leader for this club. And he was perfectly fine with that role. It was so classy. And he was great all year, had a big year here. I remember he told me, um, it might have been after that home run he hit, or one of the 22 that he hit that season, that uh, little, so a uh, little bit about hitting, the, too late to save my wiffle ball career, but he did tell me um, that his philosophy was, and I, I followed this in, in watching games ever since. He says, in every at-bat, and I should have known this, but it's just never registered. Every at bat, you usually get one pitch to hit. Every at bat, you get usually one, usually one pitch to hit, and you've got to hit it because if you, if you don't hit it, then you're probably not going to going to get another one. And I, that has always stuck with me. And now every time I watch a game, and for instance, Bryce Harper might come up and he might foul off a fastball down the middle. I go, well, there was his pitch, yeah, and, and he missed it. Or if it's the other way around, and it's it's Freddie Freeman. And a ball comes floating over the plate, and he fouls it off, or he misses. And I'm going, thank God he missed that one. And and you'll know if you watch a game, and if you watch every pitch, you'll notice that almost every at bat, unless it's a first or second pitch, maybe, if it goes three, four, five, six pitches, there will be one there that the hitter has a really good chance of driving. And if he if he misses it or fouls it off, he doesn't get another one. That phrase has stuck with me. The the. Jim Murphy <laughs> philosophy of hitting, you're going to get that one pitch to hit, and you better not miss it. And he had 22 uh, home runs that year. Eventually, he did get up to uh, to uh, A, and then uh, didn't make it to the Phillies, and then, then he retired. I think he's a coach. No, he's selling me? real estate so, in Seattle. Well, we actually have, I have something that we recorded with him. He's a real estate coach. I have something that we recorded with him that I haven't gotten to use yet, but mm-hmm. uh, it's coming. So stay tuned for that. Maybe I thought he wanted to be a coach. That, that might have been it. But I'm, I'm sure he's, 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 he's good. Uh, Moose Mater is a coach. Yeah. Okay. Maybe it's Moose. Yeah. Who, he's a high school coach in Pensacola okay. in the Pensacola region who uh, deserves a mention, of course. Yeah. Moose. You remember the Moose? The Moose? Sure, yeah. But he was 2008. Nine and 11. And 11. Yeah, he came back a little bit. He, he Well, he came. Yeah, in 11, he was only here for a little bit and he got promoted. Um but he was here all of 08 and all of 09. So he won, won, a, he won two good teams, won a championship in Didn't he retire briefly and then yes. come back? Well, yeah, he yeah. he went to play basketball right. at Boise State and then decided that baseball was more for him. Um, but, yeah, we did. If, if you want to hear more from Moose, we did an interview with him for this uh, podcast a couple of episodes back. So we urge you to take a, take a listen to um, – Take a listen to that one. You're listening to Hook, Line, and Splitter, a Jersey Shore Blue Cross podcast presented by NJR Home Services, your local experts here to help you hit a home run with a heating and cooling service plan. And by Rich Green Lawns, the leading lawn fertilization company of the Jersey Shore. They provide lawn, non-turf, tick, mosquito, tree, and shrub programs. 
Now is the time to think about core air rating and seating. Right, Tony? <laughs> Call today at 732-370-5963. Uh, Moose, by the way, was episode 14. And this is number 17. So I don't want to... Uh, we're going to wrap this up here relatively soon. It kept you way longer <laughs> than, I thought, than I told you we would. But it's been fun. Is, is lunch being served? What is lunch? No. <laughs> As a matter of fact... Um, but yeah, any anything that we uh, that you wanted yeah, to touch yeah, on? Yeah, I know you prepared I, I, some I, notes. I, I, I'm very I, I, impressed. I did want to touch on uh, Luke Williams. Yeah, who who is here in uh, seventeen? Seven, 17. and okay, in 2017, Greg, he's here. He hits two sixteen with one home run and seventeen runs batted in. He does have a walk off hit though early in the season. I, I, again, I found that on my video files, and really, that that, that that's his. Yeah, he stole oh, well, he, he stole twenty nine. Yeah, he was fast. Yeah. and but if you would have told me in twenty seventeen that that frankly that that he, he was a third round pick. Yeah. But if you would have told me in twenty seventeen that that he would make it to the majors as a regular, and he's become a, a platoon semi regular with, with the Phillies now, I, I I would have been surprised. Great kid. Awesome. Right. Awesome kid. And I remember when we spoke with him, uh, he has a sister, young sister, younger sister, Sammy, who has set all sorts of records. I think she's graduating now at Iowa State. Softball, yep. Yeah, in softball. So I remember, back I was always kidding her. I said, you, uh, how come your sister's hitting 400 and, <laughs> and you're hitting 200? And I, I did run into him again in uh, Reading, in, uh, again in, in his place. For Reading, and that time I went over to uh, Trenton, and we spoke a little bit, and I said, "She's still, she's still out hitting you." And, Actually, and we, we we would uh, we this was 2019, and we would we would laugh about that a little bit. But a, a, a great kid, and so happy with the success. So that he's had. she actually finished up this year. This year, okay. Because well, I guess because uh, she was supposed to be a senior in 2020, but I guess. They got an extra, you know, they got an extra year. She has some records that she's. Oh yeah, too. so yeah. she hit 446 this year for <laughs> Iowa State, and then uh, and hit 21 home runs, <laughs> set <laughs> Iowa State records in in everything, uh, and then this year they made the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Iowa State did for the first time since 1988, and the regional final for the first time in oh, uh, in school history. Yeah. And she finished her career tied for third in Division One softball history with 79 doubles. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. wonder who has bragging rights in that film. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. Well, the, Luke did for the, one Luke, night when he hit his walk-off home oh run. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. So, I don't know if you – were you watching the game yeah. that night? So, just to recap here, I think it was, it was a June 9th, I think I wrote it down, of, of this year. Phillies are losing to the Braves, right? We one got nothing. rained out here. Right. One nothing, two outs, bottom of the ninth, runner first, Will Smith, Braves, ace closer is, is in the game. And here's Luke, who uh, the night before had gotten his first major league hit on a bunt. Right. right. So he comes up with two outs, right-hand batter, left-hand pitcher. And I, th- I think the count is, is 0-1. And, and I'm just going, <laughs> I mean, my heart was like sinking. I mean, like Luke Williams is going to get hit off Will Smith. Tell me about it. And he swings and he hits the drive to left, and about the ball's like halfway out there. And I'm thinking, oh my God, this has a chance. And if you listen to the Tom McCarthy broadcast on TV of that, 
he's like thinking the same thing. All of a sudden, about halfway out there, he realizes that the ball is going to go. And, I, and I, I, again, going back to myself watching it on TV, I'm just watching that, and it goes in the stands for home run. It's like surreal. The whole thing is like unbelievable. Luke Williams comes up. It's a two-out, two-run walk-off home run against uh, Will Smith. And that is a week that uh, will be frozen in time. He has a great first week with the Phillies, and they go out to L.A. He plays pretty well against the Dodgers. His family is from California, yep. uh, out, out in Los Angeles. And he's become a, a pretty key cog. And you know what my great fear is? That if the Phillies do make a trade, I mean, he's so versatile, a young player with, with promise, and he, he, might, he might be in the deal. I, I would, from a personal standpoint, I would, I would hate to see that happen. Yeah. I, I, hope, I hope he stays with the Phillies. I, I think he, you know, he's fast. I think he has a good knowledge of the strike zone. He'll grow into some power. Where, where you project him as, I'm, I'm not sure, but he's very versatile. He can play the outfield. He can play the infield. And that's something that, that they've stressed here with uh, the Blue Claws, the Phillies management over the years, right? You've seen players oh, yeah. uh, play all three outfield positions. You've seen Jaylene Ortiz play left. You've seen him play center. You've seen him play right. right? He's, he's, done, he's done a real, real, real good job. Uh, they've, they've had players in the outfield who's never, who've never played the outfield before over the years. Infielders have never played the outfield. They put them out there to get experience. And the Phillies, I think, have done a really good job in uh, stressing the versatility of their players. And I think that certainly helped. Luke, you've said that he's got speed. He's got tremendous speed. And, uh, you know, hopefully he'll, he'll stay with the Phillies and become even a more integral part of the team. But a great kid and uh, can, can, only, can only wish him the, uh, the best. And another uh, player now, he's, he's a high-profile player, is, is Mickey Moniak. And uh, Mickey's been a, a tremendous interview over the years. Talked to him in spring training a couple of times spoken with him, of course, here, spoken with him when he's, he's been with Reading, and, uh, you know, it, it's been a battle for him. It's, 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 it's tough to be a number one, number one pick, and uh, he talked about that. I remember when I went down to spring training, the first year Bryce Harper was there, and Bryce had sort of taken him under his wing, taken Mickey Moniak under his wing, and Mickey talked about that a lot in the Philadelphia media, and also I did, a, I did my own little interview with him. When, when I was in Florida talking about how Bryce, you know, spoke with them about what it's, what it's like to be a number one pick. And Mickey, I give him credit, he's never lost confidence. And uh, he's been back and forth. He did his first major league home run this year with, with uh, the Phillies. And uh, we'll, we'll see if he can continue to develop. I certainly hope he can. Because uh, another great kid who we managed to meet his folks. Didn't we have his grandfather on radio? His grandfather, remember? We, we uh, met I, him. I, 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 don't, I don't know if I we had know him, if we him on. I, I thought we or had maybe him we on. did during a rain delay? Yeah, Is that we, possible? I think we yeah, had maybe. him, on, I think we had him on, on the air. The great part about these, I mean, these players is we, not so much this year because of COVID protocols, etc., but we get to meet their folks, too. They come up, they yeah. fly in, they visit, and we get, we get to see them a little bit on, on a personal basis, which, which is so rewarding from uh, our, our standpoint, and it's, it's so enjoyable. Well, uh, Tony, this was fantastic. We did. We probably could do another hour and a half. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> we'll I, 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 I do want to mention, yeah. Mike, uh, before I go, that how appreciative I am of the opportunity. I mean, I, of course, I covered the Blue Clubs as a beat writer, but to work with you and the Blue Clubs, I mean, here I am covering, uh, you know, the team I virtually, well, not virtually, I, I grew up with. 
and uh, to be able to you know cover the blue cloth now as uh, a radio participant and a video participant for for the team again i grew up rooting for it since i was 10 years old in my heart greg i'm still 10 years old rooting for this yeah. i think we're all kids at heart and uh, I really appreciate, the, again, the opportunity that the Blue Claws have provided. And it's, it's so much fun working with you and doing the Blue Claws games. I, I just want to pass that along. Well, we, yeah. You know. No, you've been awesome. So, um, especially the last few years since, since you retired from the press and, uh, you know, have you up here calling all these games. Yeah. It's, been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. We've seen a lot of good baseball yeah. over the years. And uh, hopefully we'll see some more here maybe starting now in the uh, – in the second half, no no time like the present no to go time, on a yeah. to go on a run. So, uh, Tony, thank you so much. We appreciate a few minutes. My pleasure. And we will uh, we'll see you back here on Tuesday <laughs> night for Blue Claws and Cyclones, yeah. and then a bunch, obviously, over the next yeah. uh, over the next couple of weeks. Do you like? Actually, let's. I'll give you a couple quick hitters. Do you like the six oh, okay. game series? Uh, yeah, I do. Tuesday to I, I, Sunday. I'm a, I'm the problem a, I'm a little is surprised because two full weeks is a lot. Yeah. I'm a little surprised, but you get to know the other team so well yeah. that you can almost – you get to know them personal, not personality-wise, but personnel-wise as much as you, you know the Blue Claws. And, you know, you have a certain comfort zone, I feel, broadcasting with them as, as you do with, uh, with the Blue Claws. But Extra uh, inning rule. Extra inning rule. By the way, the six games is probably a bit much. I think four. Going down the road, you want you want four. You don't really want six. I don't know what I, they're going to do I, for yeah, moving. I, I, uh, do, I do like it, but I think it's a bit. I don't much. know what they're going to do moving forward. Yeah. I think I don't mind the the six. The the thing is when you when you pair them up, you know, two weeks in a row without a home game mm. is a bit much. I think yeah. usually by like day nine, day ten, you're kind of raring to go again, mm. and then tw- you know, twelve is. A, I, like I kind of wish it could be six or nine. Yeah. But six or twelve is kind of pushing. Yeah. But I, I think it's I think it's okay. I don't know what they're going to do next year. Uh, we'll see. I, I imagine we'll find out. You know, over the next couple of weeks. Extra inning rule. Extra inning rule. Uh, the automatic runner rule. Yeah, love it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Now apparently that's going to go away, but uh, I, I will grieve for that. It's like instant drama. Well, it's going right? to go away in the big leagues. In the big. In the, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's going to go in the big. Not not in, not in the minor. I'm, yeah, you know, speaking big leagues, it's going to go away, and I'll miss. That. I love watching these big league games on TV. You start, you start the guy at second base, and you pretty much go from there. And uh, we're used to that on the minor league level, and I think it's a big plus. Again, instant drama, runner at second, nobody out. So if you're the visiting team, what do you do? If you're the home team, what do you do? Strategies abound, and uh, I, I for one, just really uh, enjoy the automatic runner. Or the ghost runner, or whatever. You I, uh, we need a name, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like it too. I yeah. I hope they keep it. I, I'm sure they'll keep it in the minors, uh, but I don't know if they'll. It doesn't sound oh, like they're oh, going to keep it oh. in the big leagues. So I was watching the, the Cubs. Let me know if we're running over here. Roger watching the Cubs Cardinals the other night on on TV, and they went into extra innings, and uh, the Cubs announcer was calling the automatic runner. The Manfred Man. <laughs> Rob Manfred. The, they called him. Let's hope get out with the Manfred That's Man. That's pretty good. Second, and one of the other announcers said, maybe we should call him Dorothy because he's looking to come home. Maybe the Dorothy Man. And I was just cracking up yeah. listening to the, But the Manfred Man was, was, was pretty good. But anyway, I, I do like the uh, automatic ghost Manfred Man runner, definitely. Although... 
we do have a few memories of uh, eighteen inning games <laughs> that we'll <laughs> right. never have anymore. Uh, like those fog, the fog the games. Fog games. That or the one that went seventeen innings. Uh, it was a, on a Friday night in May, about <laughs> six or seven years ago. That um, that, that had to stop with the fog show. Uh, no, it was twenty fifteen because Sean Sean was the manager uh, in twenty fifteen, and they stopped the game at uh, at midnight. We shot the fireworks off at twelve thirty, <laughs> and one of the players' brothers said that he tweeted us. Oh, he right, said that yeah. there's a better chance of seeing the fireworks here in San Diego, and he was right. And then Cord Sandberg hit a walk-off home run in the 18th inning of a game. Uh, I don't know if it was that year or the year. It might have been the year, the year after off of Hickory's first baseman because they ran out of pitchers. So that was a good one. Well, hopefully they will keep that in the, in the minor leagues at any rate. Yeah, no, no, they will. And that will and that will mean no more 18-inning games, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, some of those were, some of those were certainly uh, a lot of fun over the years. Well, Tony, thank you again. Okay. Uh, appreciate it, and we'll uh, I'll see you on Tuesday. That's the plan. See you then. Hook, line, and splitter at Jersey Shore Blue Cross Podcast is presented by NJR Home Services, your local experts here to help you hit a home run with a heating and cooling service plan. That was Tony Graham, longtime Blue Claws broadcaster and beat reporter from the Asbury Park Press, episode 17 of Hook, line, and splitter. Blue Claws are back home on Tuesday night, six games with Brooklyn, and then six games with Aberdeen Fireworks on Friday night, the 30th, and then July 31st is Bruce Claus night with Asbury Fever playing live in the Sandbar, as you heard more about that from episode 16, which we just uh, posted the other day with uh, the great Tom Cunningham from Springsteen on Sunday on 1071 The Boss. So thanks to Tony. I'm Greg Jamborisi. Hook, line, and splitter at Jersey Shore Blue Claws Podcast. Have a great day, everybody. See you at the ballpark next week. Blue Claws and Cyclones on Tuesday.